I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go along the letting go strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We've hit the concluding chapter on the villainous side of our type. We're we're in the home stretch. This we has can been see the light. <laughs> we're studying the darkness and we can see the light. This has been a one year journey for you and I. It's true. Process composing, recording, and editing. It's gonna be over a year, actually. We went to see the Suzanne Stabile, who mentioned something that, that sent us down the, the rabbit hole in February, I think. Yeah. Holy cow! That was in uh, that was over a year ago. Yeah, My that was goodness. that was a lifetime ago. Is <laughs> actually twenty twenty doesn't count. Thinking back on this year of studying villains, I got any big takeaways, meta level? I think big picture wise, interesting antagonists are always better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like like real real classic black hat. This guy's a bad guy because he's killing all the people. It's it's fine, but interesting antagonists are they're just better. Yeah. So we are hitting with the eights and nines, the only two Marvel villains uh, in our series. I think we did a little Thanos here and there, but we did Eric Killmonger, and yeah. this time we're gonna hit two. Our two secondary villains are gonna be Obadiah Stane from. What do you call it? The launch pad? The, the first ever MCU movie? Sure. Launch Iron Man? Works. Yeah. It's not the first Marvel movie, but it certainly is the one that launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what I meant. Maybe one of the... Is Obadiah Stane a top five Marvel villain? That, like on what you just said about great antagonists, mm-hmm. Marvel is repeatedly mocked for not having great ant- <laughs> antagonists. <laughs> Um, I think he's a great villain. I mean, we'll talk more about him when we get there. I really like this villain. Lots yeah. of men- menace. Mm-hmm. Our other nine villain pulled out of the hat, but out of nowhere, <laughs> is Milton from Office Space. So good. <laughs> I'm really excited for that to be the place we land this plane. Yeah, uh, But we are picking up and carrying through with uh, our discussion from the on the Shawshank Redemption from last week. And uh, you want to give us a, a quick intro to Villainous Nines and one Warden Norton? Sure. Well, I hope that uh, you listeners have, that this is not the very first time that you're picking up this series. But just in case you are, the whole premise is that when we go to our security point, but in unhealthy ways, we pick up really bad dark villainous behavior when that's that's where villainy lives that's our our whole thesis so nines 
the ones who are looking to avoid conflict, looking to that want everything to be peaceful, can see multiple sides of all things going on. We want things to, to just be easy and calm and everybody to get along. Don't worry about a thing and everything's going to be all right. And uh, when we are unhealthy and we are secure, when we feel like things are going well, we know what we're doing, we feel secure in our spaces, but we're unhealthy, we can pick up some of the bad things about type three. So we get some of the, uh, the deceit comes a lot more naturally. We get some of the uh, glory hogging kind of behavior. Um, and, and we use our energies to create this, this bubble of, of safety and comfort around us. But we do it for bad reasons. Mm. So that's, that's the gist of it. It's perfect. Uh, real quick before we launch into Norton, I just saw something on the interweb that's worth noting. Okay. You and I are seven reviews short of having 150 five-star reviews for the Around the Circle podcast. Fun. And I bet you would commit on air right now to naming your next child Enneagram if we can get there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might make that promise, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to talk to my spouse about that. <laughs> about the, the name or even about having a second child, that also is... Both the, things <laughs> need to be discussed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not much that you can do, dear listener, uh, in that discussion, but you can give us... A five-star review just so that (laughs) I was shocked that we have 150 people who have actually listened to the podcast, let alone thought it was worth worth giving some stars. Yeah, because our spouses aren't doing it. So who (laughs) knows (laughs) who's listening to this? Kelly definitely gave us the two. Um, (laughs) Well, we're going to start with Warden Norton in a space that seems like strong security. He's on the front page of a newspaper. He's making a lot of cash, being quite successful in his uh, career choice. Uh, Red, played by the fantastic Morgan Freeman, spells it out for us. He says, By the year Kennedy was shot, Andy had transformed a storage room smelling of rat turds and turpentine into the best prison library in New England. That was also the year Warden Norton instituted his famous Inside Out program. You may remember reading about it. It made all the papers and got his picture in Look Magazine. Then we see Norton, and he's in front of a microphone, in front of a large audience. No free ride, but rather a genuine progressive advance in corrections and rehabilitation. Our inmates, properly supervised, will be put to work outside these walls, performing all manner of public service. These men can learn the value of an honest day's labor while providing a valuable service to the community and at a bare minimum of expense to Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Taxpayer. In front of the cameras. I like that image. You got thoughts here? I think if you have spent any time with Norton before this moment, you know that this is a well-prepared speech that he does not truly believe. Mm. Or at least if he does believe it, he's inconsistent in his application of his belief. What, what part isn't, isn't believed by him? So 
The idea that these men can learn the value of an honest day's labor. Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. 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 Say it though. Yeah. He's clearly doing this for different reasons than the betterment of his prisoners. Yeah. Because yeah, it, if he cared about the betterment of his prisoners, he would <laughs> enact some changes inside his own walls. You know? <laughs> there it is. Yeah, all, all of these guys are shown almost exclusively working. They're begging to retar the roof of the prison. Right. They don't need to learn the value of a hard day's labor. Right. That's and, that's not a thing that's going to be useful to them. Andy Dufresne was a was nearly a bank president before he was 30. Right. <laughs> right. And confesses early on or later in the movie to uh, running his wife off because of his workaholicism. Right. His workaholism. Well, and just just the premise of an honest day's labor. So yeah. that's that's the phrase that he uses, an honest day's labor. The problem is an honest day's labor gets you an honest day's pay. Mm -hmm. And prisoners are not getting an honest day's pay out of their honest day's labor, which means that there's at least one superfluous word there. And it's honest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we see next. We see a road gang pulling stumps bogged down in the mud. Red says... Of course, Norton failed to mention to the press that bare minimum of expense is a fairly loose term. There are a hundred different ways to skim off the top. Men, materials, you name it. And oh my lord, how the money rolled in. It's not just that he's making money off of his men doing the the work. He's getting kickbacks all around, apparently. Right. We see Norton strolling into view with a man trying to get his attention who says, This keeps up, you're going to put me out of business. Ned. This pool of slave labor you got, you can underbid any contractor in town. Ned. We're providing a valuable community service here. Well, that's fine for the papers, but I've got a family to feed. Sam. Sam, we go back a long way. I need this new highway contract. I don't get it, and I go under. That's a fact. Just have some of this fine pie my missus made specially for you. You think about that. Ned hands Norton a box. Norton opens the box. Alongside the pie is an envelope. Runs his thumb across a thick stack of cash in there. Norton, I think, as you were saying, isn't providing a valuable community service. He's actually taking away working jobs from people in the community, apparently. Right is having to get paid by contractors to stop doing said community service. <laughs> well, it sounds like he's getting he's getting paid both ways. He's Yep. What's the phrase? Getting them coming and going. Yeah. So he's getting paid by the people that are paying are hiring him to do the work and now he's getting paid by the people who want him to not get hired to do the work. And how convenient that is for him. His pitch, the guy here calls it out. That pitch is fine for the papers. Right. Valuable community service. There's some potential threeness going on, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the um, nines are very good at mediating and, and helping people see other sides. And in part, that's because we can see we can see multiple sides of an argument. We can see the values that 
that other people are, are talking about, and we can help communicate that to the different parties. So in between party A and party B, we can say, I understand where you're coming from to both sides and help communicate that to each other. Mm. But also that means that when you, especially when you bring in the unhealthy part of three, we are communicating the best version of what might be the truth. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So we are providing a valuable community service. That's the best possible light in which this can be presented. Yeah, that's a good word. Similar, though. I mean, in tactics to stretching the truth for the sake of appearances, perhaps for different, I mean, for different reasons, yeah? Right, exactly. So a three would want that scenario to be presented in the best possible light so that they look good. A nine wants it so that they can essentially do whatever it is they're doing without any hassle from other people. Mm -hmm. There's also apparently a relationship here. Ned says we go back a long way. There's an appeal to connection or connectedness, yeah? Yeah. And and he wants Ned to understand, you know, like we're we're doing something useful here. It's I'm I'm not trying to take work from your family. This is this is a community service. Yeah. Which also in the three space is a way to help. And, and this is also an unhealthy nine thing, but it's, it's a way to help guilt Ned into backing off. Yeah. And I think that's it. Yeah. And the money ends up perhaps giving Norton a great out. Right. Cause he then says after seeing the money. Ned, I wouldn't worry too much about this contract. Seems to me I already got my boys committed elsewhere. You be sure and thank Maisie for this fine pie. My boys, slave labor. Those are the two things that stuck out to me most in this scene. Sure. It's one, we, we know that Norton dehumanizes all the inmates in his prison. And here the, the image of my boys just sings to me of you know a slaveholder. Right. These are grown-ass men many of whom are much more accomplished and have vastly superior skills. And yet he thinks that he's better them than them and is showcasing that in his language. Mm-hmm. And his buddy here, Ned, is entirely right. You have this pool of slave labor. Right. When we talked about him, we used the word steward to discuss him in the last mm-hmm. episode. And if he is indeed a steward of this facility then he sees himself as sort of the, the, the owner of the people who are assigned into it. Mm-hmm. And there's no indication here that this is a, has anything to do with race, but it is an excellent picture of a slaveholder. Mm-hmm. There's something there about, for all slaveholders, there is a sloth materializing as somebody else is doing all the work. Right. In, you know, how a sloth can get spun in a handful of different ways, but that seems to be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Cut to Norton's office. Red says, And behind every shady deal, behind every dollar earned, that was Andy, keeping the books. Two deposits, Maine National and New England first. Night drops as always, sir. So here's a, here's a nine thing that I kind of want to bring up. We, we discussed a lot the idea of 
Shawshank becoming worse out of Norton's character and Norton becoming worse out of Shawshank's character uh, in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And this is, we have no direct indication within this story that Norton had anything like this sort of embezzlement scheme happening before this moment. Mm -hmm. It's entirely possible that he did, uh, but we, we don't have any evidence of that. And, and I wonder if, if he could have gotten this off the ground without somebody else's expertise. Yeah. So Andy, who is an accomplished accountant, it, it's entirely possible that he is the reason that Norton starts embezzling money because Norton is able to use his skills to start this project, this process. And Andy actually knows how to do it in a way that Norton won't get caught. Right. Whereas I don't know that Norton, Norton has him doing all of the books. It's entirely possible that Norton had no idea how to pull this off beforehand. So the, the idea of the sort of mob boss oversight of, of this work, I, I don't really see it likely that a nine would go through the effort of figuring out the system in order to accomplish this. Mm. But if somebody comes along that he sees already knows all of that stuff, he can start to take advantage of that in ways that benefit him. Yeah. Would he have fantasized about this then for some amount of time prior to Totally, it's possible, but it also is entirely possible that this opportunity popped up and he's going where the wind is blowing him. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, the image there of not getting caught, that's going to be a big part of the end of this movie. Right. Right. He's not thinking that far ahead because yeah. the three, the security, the the nine, all of that is, it's going to be all right because I'm not preparing for the eventualities of what might go wrong. Part of it is that positive outlook. Uh, yeah. Part of it is the the overconfidence that comes from nine going to three especially in unhealthy ways. I meant more in terms of the line that you were painting was he might be, he would never do this on his own, but once he found a person who would ensure that he wouldn't get caught, who he could control, then it's a green light. I I think I would guess that it's more about effort. Mm. He wouldn't do it before because he didn't know how. Sure. 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 He, there's effort in some ways though. Yeah. I mean, and actually, in this next this next line, he's he's talking to Andy about getting his laundry done, two suits dry cleaned, and he's going to go to a big charity to do up in Portland. Governor's going to be there. He's having to do some work of a yeah, different sort. Yeah, but that's sort. schmoozing. Schmoozing, you like schmoozing? is easy. <laughs> <laughs> schmoozing, like that's that that's our bread and butter. Is pretending Don't. like we're the type of person that other people like. Okay. It's easy. Yeah. Especially in the three space. Uh come on. Is that is schmoozing connectedness? Does that does it scratch your connectedness itch? It's connectedness, it's um it's the sort of the outer rim of merging. Uh it's tied into that uh ability to see both sides, like because we understand what mm. people are communicating, we yeah. can help them. We can help communicate it back to them. 
Sure. I'm the worst at schmoozing. Because <laughs> you need to be right. I need to find conversation partners that are interesting. And unfortunately, at most parties, that's do people don't so here's the thing i'm surrounded by to to all my all my friends in the in the unc history department this isn't about you cuz you're listening to our podcast you clearly love ideas however <laughs> i'll go to my my wife's faculty meetings and just want to talk about academic stuff yep. nobody wants to talk about academic stuff right and i'm like your academics has and actually i brought this up one time uh, to a <laughs> to to one of them who's a 7 and he says there uh, i said why is it the case I bring up these topics. Nobody else wants to say anything about these. And he says, because um, we're at a party and we don't want to do work. And I was right. like, oh, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yep. and then I went in back to the punch bowl. <laughs> right. right. And see, without even ever having been to one of those events, I already knew that answer. <laughs> right. Well, see, uh, you have social skills. No, it's... Just, it's and it's in in a large measure, it's my nineness. You would have read that, and yeah, moved into oh, yeah. a different space. Yeah, absolutely. Last line from Norton here is interesting. He looks at Andy, looks at the pie he just got. He says, "Don't dress this. Woman can't bake with shit." It didn't hit me until this is the exact same thing as calling the people working in the fields his boys. You you know who I give leftover food to that I don't want? Your dog. I give it to my dog. Yep. And that's what's going on there, yeah? Yeah. And also, he would never have said that to Ned or Maisie. Ooh. Uh, as, uh, like, that the pie was no good? Yeah. 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 Because he's not he's not going to cause that kind of confrontation. Right. He would have been very congenial about it. Like, mm, this is delicious. I loved it so much. Sure. It is very unlikely that I'm going to say my actual opinion about people that I, nah, this doesn't count because I'm kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of nines. Yeah. Um, for, for nines, it's it's likely the case that we are going to communicate in really positive ways about our experiences and sure. not say we won't assert ourselves and say, Oh, I didn't like that mm-hmm. because of the, the potential risk of conflict and separation. Imagine a lot of types, most of the types will probably navigate those waters, but they'll be doing it for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, I think some types will, I think a lot of types won't care. It's fine. The it, eights might value honesty more than, Niceness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, twos will twos will do the same thing as nines, but because they want you to like them. Yeah, I just yeah. don't want to stir the pot. I'll tell my friend that I thought it was disgusting. Twos right. probably won't because what if your friend tells the other friend? I was just thinking through how I would navigate the pie conversation, and and it's totally type wise. It was I would eat the pie. I think this isn't very good. They would come to me. How'd you like the pie? You you know what I thought it was I thought I thought it was delicious. You know what you should really try next time. Mm-hmm. It would be all about improvement. Like nope. that's where I would focus my energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know you could do this. I would say, oh, it's great. <laughs> well, it is the case. Andy is either a dog or he's a dehumanized tool who's just there to do his laundry. And you know what you can do with a tool? 
anything you want. It's true. Mm. Throw that sucker in a rusty bucket and forget about it. Give it garbage pie. Next scene is a new inmate coming to Shawshank, one Tommy Williams. You know who was originally slated to play Tommy Williams and then backed out? I do not. Brad Pitt. Oh, I'm really glad it wasn't Brad Pitt. I actually am too. I think it would be fun to watch, but... Right. I feel like he would have dominated. Yeah, it may be. Yeah. Well, Tommy is important for us to understand Norton. Uh, Tommy ends up not only getting his education through the library that Andy has created, but fumbles out eventually how he heard another inmate confess to the crime that Dufresne was in for. And Dufresne, hearing this, is shocked, goes to the warden for help, and there's a big scene. We cut to Norton's face. He's clearly just been told the story. And Norton says, I have to say that's the most amazing story I ever heard. What amazes me most is you were taken in by it. Sir? Well, it's obvious this fellow Williams is impressed with you. He hears your tale of woe and quite naturally wants to cheer you up. He's young, not terribly bright. Not surprising he wouldn't know what a state he put you in. Sir, he's telling the truth. Well, let's say for the moment this blatch does exist. You think he'd just fall to his knees and cry, Yes, I did it, I confess. Oh, and by the way, I have a life term to my sentence. You know that wouldn't matter. With Tommy's testimony, I can get a new trial. Well, that's assuming Blatch is even still there. Chances are excellent he'd be released by now. Well, they'd have his last known address, names of relatives. It's a chance, isn't it? How can you be so obtuse? What? What did you call me? Obtuse? Is it deliberate? Son, you are forgetting yourself. The country club will have his old time cards, records, W-2s with his name on them. Frayne, if you want to indulge this fantasy, that's your business. Don't make it mine. This meeting is over. Norton is trying to get out of this every which way he can. And then there's a turn in the conversation. I I want to paint that in a different light. Okay. I, I agree that that's what's happening. But this also sounds exactly like every single conversation I ever have with someone who's pitching something to me that I don't think will work. Mm. Okay, sure. Like, let I'm just I'm just gonna I understand what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from. Yep. But I I need you to see all of the holes in what you're saying. Yeah. I I, I want I get it. It's I, I get it, but also here's the things that might go wrong. Before we expend any energy on this, yep. Before I commit any of my myself to your schemes, right. And and before we stir the pot, here's why we don't stir the pot. He's willing to mail some letters. Is there is this going to be any more work than ma- mailing letters? Oh yeah, it's going to be a ton more work for him because all he has to do is put the letters in the mailbox. Here he just needs to let Dufresne get a lawyer. Yeah, but then he has to be involved with the whole process. You think so? Yeah. I think if he thought that Dufresne would actually get the money in the first place, Mm -hmm. he never would have mailed the letters. I think he assumed the system would not allow him to continue. And that's even what he pitches to Andy. It's not going to work, but I'll mail your letters. I suppose I read this as with the letters, he's he's getting leverage over Andy to do things he wants him to do. But if Andy, who has shown himself to have high aptitude 
is able to move forward here, then obviously he doesn't have the runner of his little schemes. I think that is definitely true, but I don't think it's the whole truth. Yeah. It's coming I, at- I, I, I think it's true, but I think it's, it, there's so much nineness in how this is happening that we don't see his, like, like after the turn, we start to see that motivation come out mm-hmm. before the turn. It could easily be just him trying to save everyone the effort of rocking the boat for no reason. Mm. Well, he clearly is hurt, is surprised, is uh, shocked. <laughs> what happens here when terrified. Andy calls he's him? He's terrified. Ooh, he's terrified and when pissed. Andy calls him obtuse? He's, he's terrified and pissed. Like, how dare you insult my intelligence? And also, if you're going to push this hard, this is going to be a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. His dog just turned on him. Yeah. And and, and with one word reminds him, I was a very successful individual uh, who has a... I, I think he may not know what this word means off the top of his head. Like, it's actually kind of shocking. It's, what did you call me? Sure. Yeah, I, I think he looks it up by the time he meets him a month later because he's going to sure. use it in his own sentence. Yeah. But with- I... So I I see it a lot as... Like Andy is basically saying, how can you be thinking so small? And the warden is seeing the picture, the a, a a larger picture than Andy it than he thinks Andy is. Okay. And and in large measure, because he knows that if Andy gets out, that his embezzlement scheme is really in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um but also, I think he has such, quote-unquote, faith in the system that is not going to allow this to go through. Like, like, even if Andy is innocent, the system is designed in such a way that Andy is here to pay for his crimes. And, mm. and while he is here, like, he's, he's been sentenced within a system and he has to play his part in the system Mm -hmm. and to deviate from that system is actually a huge problem. So Andy calling, calling the warden obtuse is in a way I, I could see the warden really thinking that that is insulting because he is in such a position that is higher than Andy that to have this criminal call him small-minded about the system that he is a part of yeah, is so insulting mm. combined with all of the other, you know, embezzlement and danger and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> a tertiary part of this also comes to my mind, uh, which is the warden doesn't care about rehabilitating. Oh, yeah, absolutely then- not. You were kind of mentioning that, but I think that this is an excellent place to showcase that the tr- yep. the the freedom and thriving of the men under his care is nowhere on his radar. No, the thing that they need is Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. And they need Jesus because then they become controllable in my right. 
hell that I've created. Right. This is how the system works. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I wonder if, I mean, this is, this may be a stretch or maybe it's central, but the only rule he has is not taking the Lord's name in vain. And that in and of itself, using Jesus to serve yourself and your ends is Mm -hmm. the quintessential using the Lord's name in vain, you know? Right. Yeah. There's not an inkling of discipleship in how the warden engages his religious faith in, in these walls. Right. And it's, and as such, it's trash. And we all know it's trash. Right. Andy says, sir, if I were to ever get out, I would never mention what goes on in here. I'd be just as indictable as you for laundering that money. Don't you ever mention money to me again. You sorry son of a bitch. Not in this office, not anywhere. Get in here now. I was just trying to set your mind at ease, that's all. Sir, I, I didn't... Solitary, a month. Yes, sir. Huh? What's the matter with you? Get him out of here. Come on, this is my chance to get out. Don't you see that? Andy knows the warden wants to keep things calm. <laughs> He's the, He realized he went a step too far. I just am trying to put your mind at ease. Right. But this is one of two instances in the movie where the anger comes forth mm-hmm. in abrupt, uncontrollable awkward ways yeah right yeah the anger comes out here and it's fueled by the the fear that his comfort is going to be disturbed yeah and also that the world that he's pretending he's in is going to be exposed for what it truly is yeah I mean, I think that's maybe that's why I was trying to argue earlier is that I think that's in the back of his mind throughout this conversation. I agree. In part. Um, yeah. I mean, I think all those layers could be there for sure in terms of coming out in his response. Um, but he yells solitary a month, which apparently is unheard of. Right. You know, it's a crazy long time to be alone in a yeah. dark cell. I heard that Tim Robbins in prepping for the role actually went into solitary and i and i got like wow that's some that's that's like that's some some excellent next level stuff yeah he was he was in there for for like two hours (laughs) that's nothing (laughs) made me laugh that's not solitary (laughs) that's like a nap (laughs) just stay here for two hours well andy is yelling as he gets dragged away it's my life don't you understand my life get him out and this is exactly what Norton doesn't understand. Andy's life is his life. It's forfeit. <laughs> That's Andy how... has no life so long as he is in this prison. Yeah. There you go. I like that. It's forfeit. But since it's forfeit and since he's the one who stewards these things, the slaveholder gets to have first dibs. Right. Is that, I suppose. <laughs> Moves us to the scene outside the prison. And we see Tommy led by a guard out there. And uh, he's kind of confused. And he says, out here? And the guard says, that's what the man said. Tommy sees the warden. Warden? Who steps into the light. Tommy, I'm asking you to keep this conversation just between us. feel awkward enough as it is. We got a situation here. I think you can appreciate that. Yes, sir. I sure can tell you, son, this thing really came along and knocked my wind out. It's got me up nights. That's the truth. There's no reason for this to keep Norton up at night 
if he's what are running, you kidding? His, he's, his whole <laughs> world could come crashing down if he's running a legitimate business. For whatever reason, I was I was shocked by the end of the scene when I first saw it the first time. I wasn't mm, sure. I didn't see it coming. Now I, I noticed these tropes all over the place, but I was naive enough to think, oh, he's actually on the side of justice. We'll see how this plays out. <laughs> if he was he's on the, not up, lying, but he's not on the side of justice. No. I, let me restate this. Uh, if his prison was on the up and up, yeah, this would not be something to keep him up at night. Sure. He would just hand it back to the system. That's right. the system's job. Right. <laughs> yep. But if this prison was on the up and up, okay, let, let's just acknowledge, if, if there are any convicts or, or people in prison listening to this, if you get invited to have a private conversation with a <laughs> warden in the middle of the night outside the prison, don't go. That's not a good place to have a real conversation because you're probably going to get shot. It's <laughs> Bait. Norton says, the right thing to do. Sometimes it's hard to know what that is. You understand? I need your help, son. If I'm going to move on this... There can't be the least little shred of doubt. I have to know if what you told Dufresne was the truth. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Would you be willing to swear before a judge and jury, having placed your hand on the good book and taken an oath before Almighty God himself? Just give me that chance. That's what I thought. Why is he going down this road? Because he needs to know if Tommy would do it. If is Tommy sincere, is he telling the truth? If he's telling the truth and he's sincere about it, yeah, then the warden is screwed. He also needs Tommy to believe that he's on the up and up. In order to get an honest answer. Correct. Oh, I guess it's true. There is something then there that the warden doesn't want to kill him. Killing Tommy would be the very last option, yeah? Yeah, if there's a way out of this, great. If Tommy is lying, awesome. If Tommy's telling the truth, that's bad. So I think that's, that's what in- this whole thing is about. I think that's interesting in Shawshank because lots of because those guards kill people all the time. Sure. And yet the warden's not willing to go there as just a, well, let's just remove this as a problem. I guess you know what it is. If he goes down this road of killing Tommy, he knows it will have an effect on his relationship with Dufresne. Sure. Well, and the the guards cause accidental deaths yeah this needs to to be framed in a particular way for Dufresne or for everyone outside for everyone outside the guards don't outright murder people yeah yeah well yeah i mean but there's i mean he tommy could easily slip on uh, soap in the in the shower Sure. And, and bonk his head real bad. Sure. And one of I the suppose things, there's also some storytelling element to this. Yeah, there you go. As well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear Steve Morrison uh, in our headphones going, uh, it, it's because it's a movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, the I'm, audience needs to understand something about what's about to happen. <laughs> Steve, if you're listening, I've listened to all 200 episodes of The Cinephiles multiple times and uh, have never heard you once say, it's because it's a movie. But, but that was one of the first things said on our podcast and it made me laugh so hard because I was like, well, yeah, I guess that is an answer. Anyway, because uh, 
it is the case that this is selling it to the culture outside because Dufresne knows immediately what happened and the warden doesn't even waste an ounce of energy trying to spin his lie to Dufresne in a way that's, uh, he, he, he comes and talks about Tommy in a minute as a threat. Well, uh, let me just, uh, we can wait on that, but sure. in terms of his motive here, it's let's get all the information out. Is this the last option? I think there's, picturing myself in this situation, I feel like this is exactly how I'd handle this as well. Ooh. Because I I want to be sure so that I don't have to think about, well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've been in scenarios in the past where I'm, I'm pretty sure I know something about someone else that I don't have any direct evidence of. But the fact that I don't have proof means that I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my, my laptop was stolen from my business a few years ago, and I know exactly who did it. I don't have proof of him doing it, though. So there's this part of my brain that's always a little unsure. Mm. And if I could get a confession from him, then I could let that issue die in my mind. Like, I would never have to think about it again. But because I don't have proof, it is something that I think about from time to time. That, like, well, maybe I was wrong. If Norton is a nine, then then this situation might be exactly that. Him yeah. being certain that he's making the right decision in doing away with Tommy. Yeah. I don't want to go too far down this, this path, but it really struck me as you were talking. This is one of those places where it feels to me like nines and fives mistype. Yeah. Come across yes. very similar at that level. You, Absolutely. With, just the skinny, what's the skinny on your motive versus a five's motive in those moments and how it materializes? I think a five wants to have all of the information for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to have, because that is how they are safe, by having having the full package of information that is available, because all of the pieces in place help it make sense. Uh, and that is how they protect themselves from the dangers that are out there by having all of all of the information. Yeah, uh, I think a nine wants to be sure that they aren't acting in a way that is going to cause conflict mm-hmm. based on them being based on falseness. Sure. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Well, Norton says. That's what I thought. Drops his cigarette, looks up. Blam, blam, blam. Blam. There's four blams. The <laughs> Tommy goes down. Naive Jeff watching this for the first time in Kelly Langley's dorm room with 20 other yahoos crammed in. Man, I saw that the first time. It just it took I, I was I was so into this movie and so thinking things were going a different direction. And then mm. I was like, oh. Nope, different movie than I thought it was. Sure, <laughs> I was shocked. Yeah, I feel like this does that does kind of. It may not be a total surprise, but the fact that he gets shot, uh-huh. it's like oh oh, like maybe something bad was going to happen to him, but or the warden was going to threaten him or something. But this yeah. is the first time we see someone get shot. Yeah, very 
very violent. When the thing about and gang- abrupt, yeah, like Hadley when 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 Boggs gets taken out, Hadley shows up in his cell mm-hmm. and beats him. Yeah, I heard Coppola say something about all murders in movies that they all have to have something interesting about them that sets them apart and makes them unique. Sure. Uh, that's one. And then two, all these gangster films, they really emphasize the sound effects. The yeah. gunshots in gangster movies are always a little bit heavier and yeah. more intimidating than sure. Rambo fire. You know, I'm sure. not scared of those guns. This gun is, is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I would also say that there is like, as an audience, we're lured into the same trap that Tommy is lured into. Yeah, there you go. In thinking that that Norton is a little bit, at least a little bit, on Tommy's side here, and this is this is something that people need to understand about nines. Nines need to understand that they do this, and people need to understand this about the nines in their lives. We are very good at making you think that we agree with you. <laughs> oh, that's good for this. Like, like Tommy is fully on board that Norton is on his side. That's the thing we're saying about this. Yeah. The other th- thing that hits me here, and it, it's true of uh, all of our nine villains, is that there's outsourcing of violence. Right. None of our nines directly kill anyone. With the potential well, exception of of Obadiah pulling the heart out of Tony, but I want to talk about that. Well, but when when he's in the suit, he's and when, yeah, he's and when, knocking people around. Truth, I'm I'm curious about that. I'm going to ask you about that because I think the suit it doesn't change his type, but I think it it makes him a different kind of person. I agree. Uh, so anyway, but the outsourcing of violence is is clearly here. Yeah. Cut to solitary in the hallway outside, and Norton emerges. I'm sure by now you've heard a terrible thing. A man that young, less than a year to go, trying to escape. Broke Captain Hadley's heart to shoot him. Truly it did. That is 100% mob boss threat. Right. And nobody would believe that. Yeah. Like the, it, it's, it's the right thing to say, mm-hmm. but there's no chance that any belie- anyone believes that Hadley had a problem shooting that kid. Right. right. <laughs> have you seen have you seen the rest of the movie? Right. Andy says, I'm done. Everything stops. Another place where the anger that's in Norton comes out in for a, a very similar reason. Nothing stops. Nothing. Well, you will do the hardest time there is. No more protection from the guards. I'll pull you out of that one bunk, Hilton, and cast you down with the sodomites. You'll think you've been fucked by a train. In the library? Gone. Sealed off brick by brick. We'll have us a little book barbecue in the yard. We'll see the flames for miles. We'll dance around it like wild engines. You understand me? Catching my drift. Or am I being up to? This is one of those places where the threat is over the top and just it's what do you call that when you just are typing in typing whatever comes to mind first? Free association. Right. Yeah. He, he is free associating violence yep. 
in this moment in yep. a way that's just lava pouring forth from him. Right. Give him another month to think about it. Threats from a nine who thinks his world might get severely changed, altered. Actually, I suppose if he ever got caught, he would become an inmate. And I'm sure that perhaps that's something. Sure. But also, this came to me after we had already discussed it, but it, I, I think there's also an element here of we, we have to remember that Norton sees himself as the goodly steward over non-full humans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and when Andy started to sort of talk back to him in the office... Andy started to assert himself in a way that sort of forced Norton to view him as a full human being, Mm. which for someone like Norton threatens his control over his space. Yeah, that's this pushes toward what I think is the real reason that Andy is such a strong adversary foil for Norton is that Andy is an agent of change. Right. That's entirely his MO. Yep. Everything he touches, he is moving in a different direction. Right. And often in profoundly beautiful ways. That's what makes Norton demonic is that he can't see the beauty. Right. In well, Mozart and or the books or the rest. It's, it's not just about, the beauty it's about the control yeah like it, it's, it's you in. you are beneath me like especially as a as like there's we've talked about the prison complex system but it also like as a nine in unhealthy as an unhealthy nine in unhealthy three space mm-hmm. You are beneath me, and you do not get to affect the control I have over my space. You are part of my space, and I am in charge of you. Mm. Yeah. And and any kind of threat to that control is a significant threat to his peace and comfort. Yeah, it's again Shawshank flowing out of this man's heart. Yep. One of the things that Red says elsewhere is things went on like that for a while because prison life consists of routine and then more routine. Yep. And then the movie ends with Red talking about geology. And geology is the study of time and pressure. And that's all it really takes. Pressure and time turns out Andy's favorite hobby, yada, yada, yada. It's all about how am I going to take this thing that is utterly solidified and still shape it to my will to, to change it over time. I wonder if that's right. what those pieces are. Is that like the chess pieces are these rocks that are been the same for millions of years, and yet he is shaping them into beautiful, worthy instrument, tools, pieces. Yeah. Anyway, that struck me as worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know who also has a problem with change? It's red. Sure. We haven't spoken much about Red and Brooks, but they're two symbols that I think are important for this part of understanding Warden and understanding the climax. The whole theme of the movie seems to me to center on hope 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's something to say there about the dark side of three because the virtue for threes is hope. I don't know if the opposite, like if that's how the virtues work in terms of the dark side of your security type, if it would be the opposite, you're creating hopelessness. But that clearly is what happens in everyone in Shawshank. Yeah. Brooks commits suicide. He can't get past, even when he's free, he can't get past that. And that's where Red is struggling. And that's what Andy has come to free them on exactly that front of giving them something to hope for. Yeah. Sure. I have not thought about that very much. So, <laughs> two central uh, the reason I suppose I pitch it is there's the, uh, and I don't have it written down, but there's the conversation they have in which Andy says, Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. Better get used to that idea. Like Brooks did. It's again, hopelessness and... I mean, hope is about change, I suppose, yeah? Right. It's, I want to do something different requires energy, requires power, motive. You gotta move. What is it that, that's moving you? Right. Anyway. And, and when nines go to three in healthy ways, they can get hope while they're there. Mm -hmm. But I suppose when they go there in unhealthy ways, then that's not something that they'd be picking up. And, and that's not something he's even looking for the word because he, he doesn't need to give them hope. That's not his job. That's not his responsibility. It's not what Mm -hmm. the prison is for. Mm -hmm. Movie has a dark climax in my mind and it's the conversation red and Andy have outside just before the last couple scenes where Andy is confessing his sins towards his wife and his own hopelessness and he's melancholy and says to Red I guess it comes down to a simple choice really get busy living or get busy dying and you'll know how this plays out we've seen another suicide by hanging we hear that Andy has gotten some rope and that something is very weird, and the music is what's telling us that things are awful, and it's right. a, a shade darker, and we have this sense that Andy has succumbed to his own hopelessness. Well, and, and props to Tim Robbins here. Like mm-hmm. he, he carries himself with a glimmer, at least, mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the film, and, and this whole speech it's easy to think that he's planning on committing suicide because of this speech. There's something about red in his cell. It's dark. And he is thinking about his friend who's just a few yards away. I mean, Mm -hmm. killing himself by hanging and he doesn't say a thing. Right. And there's something about like, if my best friend was 30 yards away and I thought they were going to kill themselves, I would be unloading my heart of affection for this person. Sure. And he can't get there. And yeah. part of that is we've seen, you know, people drug out into the middle of the corridor and beaten to death. 
but there's something of the stilling of the the human soul that takes place in this space where right. even even here when he cares so much he can't he can't act on it right and part we we had typed red as a nine as well mm-hmm. and if if he is a nine that also doesn't help him in this space because there would be an element of like it's not his place to put himself out there in such a way as to stop Andy from doing what he's going to do. Which again, it also comes out of if there was any kind of health within this facility, within the people who live there, like yeah. there would be some, some element of, of pushing the people to better themselves. Mm. But instead it's keep your head down and don't stir the pot. People die in Shawshank all the time. Right. The fact that it's his friend doesn't change that. I skipped over one thing intentionally because I think it's so choice. The very last thing that Warden Norton says to Andy is after he has put him in solitary for two months, which is a form of obscene torture, Mm -hmm. he's back on the job doing the warden's work. He looks at Andy and he says, It's good having you back, Andy. Place wasn't the same without you. Which seems like such that that seems like a, we're all cool here, everything's fine. Yep, <laughs> everything's fine. Positive outlook, man. Let's not even talk about the tension between us. That's what's that great, is, to have you isn't back. it? Oh yeah, just love that as a villainous nine line in that yeah. setting. Well, the sun comes up, and we cut to the morning, and Norton is kicking back with his morning paper. Apparently, there's a story on Shawshank. He notices how dingy his shoes are, glances at the shoebox on his desk, opens it up, and inside are Andy's work boots. And then an alarm starts blaring, and then we see him and Hadley striding through the cell block, and they're panicked. Well, every man on this cell block questioned. Start with that friend of his. Who? Him. And points at Red. And then we cut to the cell, and Norton is furious. He's yelling at guards. What do you mean he just wasn't here? Don't say that to me, Hay. Don't say that to me again. But, sir, he wasn't. I can see that, Hay. Think I'm blind? Is that what you're saying? Am I blind, Hay? No, sir. Like, being mean to Hay for no reason. This isn't <laughs> Hay's fault. Come on. Nines in stress but real quick it? here. Because I think this is the only time we see Norton in stress. I mean, it's... it's Pure fear. It's terror. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which translates into anger as there. it comes out. That's what I think is real interesting. Yeah. You want to talk about that? A fear turning into anger? I mean, the um, the loss of control, the, like, I, I don't know what to do. This is, this is a perfect example of anger coming out sideways. Like mm. he, he doesn't, he's not healthy enough to recognize his fear mm-hmm. and to appropriately deal with his fear, especially because, you know, the fact that Andy is the one who escaped means that he is really screwed. Yep. But, but that like the fact that he, I bet he wouldn't even call it fear mm. because he's not healthy enough to notice that that's what it is. So it just, it just boils out of him 
and becomes anger and and unleashes into him throwing rocks at his guards. <laughs> That's it just keeps going down that path to these more yeah. weird and obscene and even the guards know this is this isn't appropriate behavior here in Shawshank. <laughs> right. Right. And 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 I also noticed like like we talk about anger coming out and and when you think about anger, you you think about destruction. But notice also how mean he's being. Mm-hmm. Anger for nines doesn't just come out in physical destructive ways. It also comes out in us being very mean. Mm. So like if you know nines and they have ever been very mean to you inappropriately, it's the same thing as if they were throwing rocks at you. It just, it just like, it's just another manifestation of anger coming out sideways. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that same thing as our ability to see both sides and communicate that. That means we can also see the bad stuff and communicate that. Mm. But we don't want to do that normally because that causes conflict. And when it's anger coming out sideways, it just, we can say the the meanest things and not ever have meant to say them mm-hmm. because we can't control our anger. Is that a, I can, I can see how you see the world and therefore I can, I can weaponize that in these explosive bursts. Is that how yeah. you, you, you feel it? Yeah. And I can see the ways that you are insecure or going to be like, Mm. I can see the ways that your feelings are going to be hurt in the same way that I can see the ways that you need to hear something so that it'll have the most impact for you to change your heart, which is the healthy side of this sort of mediation. Mm -hmm. I can also see the ways in which I can do the most damage. Boom. Well, he gets real intense. I want him found. Not tomorrow, not after breakfast. Now. <laughs> Egg says, yes, sir, and gets out of there. Then they bring in Red. Well? Well, what? I see you two all the time. You're thick as thieves you are. He must have said something. No, sir, not a word. Then again, here's kind of that free association anger coming forth. Lord, it's a miracle. Man up and vanish like a fart in the wind. Nothing left but some damn rocks on the windowsill and that cupcake on the wall. Let's talk about her. Maybe she knows. What you say there, fuzzy britches? Feel like talking? Oh, guess not. That that last line, I think, is hilarious because he is he's entered a new space there. Of, yeah. of <laughs> I don't know what that... It's it's anger coming out sideways. It, it's sarcasm. It's it's being yeah. mean on purpose. There it is. Yeah. And for nines that want to create atmospheres that are very calm, this is the opposite here. This exactly. is a very uncomfortable situation for yep. everybody. Yep. But also, it also seems to me like his his next line. It it really like brings it home for me about this being the other side of the coin of his conversation with Tommy. Well, he picks up the rocks and he starts chucking them at Red and Hadley and the other guard. It's a conspiracy. 
That's what it is. It's one big damn conspiracy, and everyone's in on it, including her. Throws a rock at the poster on the wall. This is not sensible. Right. But he is... So in his conversation with Tommy, mm-hmm. he was unsure about whether or not Tommy was telling the truth. And he needed to find out in order to move forward. So he was, in a, in a very nine-ish way, he was presenting himself as on the side of, of Tommy. And like we, his whole goal was to know whether or not Tommy was sincere and would be willing to, like, is Tommy a danger to me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He believed he knew something about Tommy and he just needed to find, figure out the real truth. Mm-hmm. In this moment, it's it's the same thing. Like, he thinks that Red or somebody, that that somebody here is in on this because this isn't a thing that just happens. Mm-hmm. And in his anger, he's treating them all like they're stupid, like they're lying to him. He's, he's the one who sees that somebody here is lying. And in his anger, he's unable to like navigate that in an appropriate way, but it's bursting out of him in a, like he's just trying to figure out the truth that he knows, but he doesn't know the full story yet. Yeah. Um- I'm trying to picture that. Like, of course, Red is in on this, right? Because he know he has noticed enough to know that Red and Andy are friends. Mm -hmm. Of course, Red is going to be in on this. Is there something about not being able to read the people in front of you that would be an extra measure? No, I think his his anger is shutting down his cognitive skills. That's probably right. Which is part of what happens with nines. Yeah. No. I I imagine that's a I don't know if eights have that problem. I have that problem. Sure. Like anger overwhelms rationality. Yeah. I I don't think because eights are so comfortable in anger, I don't yeah. think it has the same effect on eights. Yeah. I see that. Lord, it's a miracle. Man up and vanished like a fart in the wind. Nothing left but some damn rocks on the windowsill. And that cupcake on the wall. Let's ask her. Maybe she knows. What say you there, fussy britches? Feel like talking? Ah, oh, guess not. Why should she be any different? This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! Including her! Throws that last rock right at Raquel. No smash. Just the sound of a rock bouncing down a concrete tunnel. Norton reaches up, sinks his finger into the hole where the rock went, keeps pushing, and his entire hand disappears into the wall, rips down that poster. I have never been as thrown off by a movie as yeah, this Yeah, this moment. is a great reveal. <laughs> this is a spectacular moment. And it's so well shot. Everything about this is just fantastic switching to the other side of the of the poster for him to reach his arm through and pull it off the wall beautiful the next line it's again the case is this is a masterpiece the way they then shoot to outside and you see cop cars arriving and you hear red's voice it's gone from this very intense scene 
And then there's Morgan Freeman just reading it down. In 1966, Andy Dufresne escaped from Shawshank Prison. All they found of him was a muddy set of prison clothes, a bar of soap, and an old rock hammer, damn near worn down to the nub. That line, following all of these events, it's 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 like somebody pushed you in the pool. <laughs> You're like, what? Right. <laughs> right. And we see Norton, who's now moved to his office. He's watching the cops out the window, and he goes to his desk, and apparently this is going to be a, you know, a firefight here at the end putting the shells into the gun, getting ready. Norton had no intention of going quietly. And we see the DA, and looks like he's there to do his business, marches inside Shawshank, goes to Norton's office, starts banging on the door. And there's a moment where Norton turns from, okay, I'm going to do this. I've got the gun. It's filled with bullets. Those guys have it coming for him. And you see the turn in his face. It's a Mm -hmm. brilliant job by the actor. You know exactly what's going through his mind because he's like, I could engage the violence or I could do something else. This feels like, again, a very nine kind of move here. Mm -hmm. Uh, He finds a different way out that in theory is conflict-free. I don't know if that counts as conflict, but this is how I'm going to make things calm. Yep. Well, and like he's, there's no way he's going to win in a firefight. Yeah. And he he knows what happens when people go to jail. Yeah. If if they take him alive, then that's not the life he wants to live either. Right. All of that's right. going through his mind. Yep. Yep. His comfort is going to end one way or another. Mm-hmm. And it can end quickly or it can end over the course of him being another prisoner. Yeah. He goes from pointing the gun at the door to pointing the gun under his chin. We see a bullet go through a window. Yep. I like to think the last thing that went through his head, other than that bullet. That's such a great line. Just to wonder how the hell Andy Dufresne ever got the best of him. (laughs) We push slowly to the wall and reveal Miss Norton's framed sampler trickling with Blood and brains, says the script. <laughs> we get our final Bible <laughs> lesson for the day. His judgment cometh, and that right soon. <laughs> that's, the, that's the line in the script. <laughs> um, I guess it made a better visual to show the blood on the window. It's not, it's not obvious, but there's three suicide scenes in this movie, and they frame the movie. Brooks wasn't in uh, Stephen King's book, except for like there's like a paragraph. He's kind of like a throwaway character. He's just a background character. And the and the director was the one who said, "No, we need this character to bring the emotion of hopelessness and really solidify mm. it in this good man." Yeah, Brooks is always shown with light on his face. He is one of the only other people at Shawshank that cares for not only the other prison inmates but also for this you know this bird who which would be kind of a worthless creature right um well and and he's also we see him exhibit a measure of joy several times true and typically when we see other characters looking happy 
Yeah. It's it's like like Haywood, you can see him expressing what seems like happiness, mm-hmm. but it's often at someone else's expense. Mm-hmm. Like these characters, because of the terrible place that Shawshank is, these characters are representative of the dehumanization of other people. Yeah. And and Brooks is one of the few people that shows that that, that doesn't really represent that, like seeing each other as less than human. Right. So I think that was a good move to like build and expand his character. Yeah. And it all, it, it puts forth the stakes. It put, again, it's, you need an instantiation of the lethal power of hopelessness. Yeah. So you have his suicide, you have Andy's potential suicide, which ends up being the break. And then you have uh, Norton's suicide. And then I suppose you have uh, what could be Red's suicide when he gets up on the table and signs the wall right next to Brooks's name, mm-hmm. but makes a different decision. It's a Brooks was here, Red was here too, but he's going somewhere else. Right. And that also speaks to the hopelessness that is represented by Shawshank the place. Like we keep talking about how Shawshank has infected Norton and Norton has infected Shawshank. Mm-hmm. And, and if Norton is the type of person who does not make the place that he's in worse, then he's the type of person who can see his life outside of it. Mm. Like he, he is, his suicide is an excellent representation of the kind of hopelessness that he has helped cultivate at Shawshank. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just the final nail in that it's, it's the final sort of showing of how these two characters are so intertwined. Mm -hmm. Truth. All right. You want to get into some Iron Man? Yeah. Iron Man may not be the best movie of the last 15 years, but it arguably could be the most important. Sure. If Jeff Bridges doesn't show up, I'm not sure that uh, MCU takes off. Yeah, that's... I mean, there's a lot to be said for Robert Downey Jr., but... Downey Jr. is incredible in this movie and is the reason... I I think it's the case. Let me restate this. All of the... Uh, elevation of credit seems to routinely and perhaps rightly I mean I think it's very arguable to say that Diane Jr. is the reason that the MCU takes off if Jeff Bridges doesn't show up as a really great villain uh, this movie isn't as quality yeah and we'll, I think with a lot of these movies as we're going through them I'm noticing that element it's like man you know what really makes this movie great isn't just the hero's journey but it's you know Maybe it's overstated that the villain, you know, a hero is only as great as their villain, or sometimes the right. villain is what makes the movie. But yeah, right. that's it's uh, he's stellar in this. That movie begins with uh, well, it begins with Tony's assassination. Is that an assassination attempt? What would you call that? Uh, yeah, that's what it is. But it cuts, and the first time that we meet Obadiah Stane, there is a grand ballroom in Las Vegas, and there's uh, an event. That in which Tony Stark is receiving an award. Montage video. Tony Stark. Visionary. Genius. 
American Patriot. My favorite part of this, looking at it for Obadiah stuff, is there is a big Time Magazine cover. It says over Obadiah, interim president of Stark Industries. Yeah. And you know what that communicates to a nine? You don't matter. Your presence does not matter here. Yep. You are a placeholder. <laughs> Rhodey, who becomes War Machine in future movies, is up there giving the award. As liaison to Stark Industries, I've had the unique privilege of serving with a real patriot. He is my friend, and he is my great mentor. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to present this year's Apogee Award to Mr. Tony Stark. Everyone applauds. Tony, Tony. No Tony to be seen. I like this image. If we type Obadiah as a nine, I like this as a nine move right here. Yep. There is tension. Especially as a nine in unhealthy three. Yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah. about this. Or well, nine in three at all. Yeah. Well, Obadiah's, let, let's do, I'll, I'll finish out the scene. Obadiah stands up because Tony's clearly not there. Very, he looks kind of reluctant in doing it, and mm -hmm. yet he's going to step in and do his job well. Yep. Buttons his seat, walks to the front. Thank you, Tony. Uh, this is uh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you all very much. This is wonderful. Well, I'm not Tony Stark. Uh, Good little joke. <laughs> Great joke. Setting everybody at ease. Yep. But if I were Tony... I would tell you how honored I feel and uh, what a joy it is to receive this very prestigious award. Tony, you know, uh, the best thing about Tony is also the worst thing. He's always working. And then we cut to a different scene, but let's talk about Obadiah yeah. Stane. This is a great example of someone who doesn't really want the limelight, but sort of secretly wants some recognition mm -hmm. and is happy to be in the spotlight pointing at someone else. Ooh, I like the... <laughs> like, like if this was done, if yeah. this was, a, if Obadiah Stane was a three, per mm -hmm. se... It'd be about him. He would walk up and say... I'm Obadiah Stane. I am not Tony Stark. Yes. But he never says who he is. Mm -hmm. He's happy to talk about Tony while accepting Tony's award. <laughs> like there's, there's a very, like, if we're typing Stane as a nine, the move to three here, like it, it just, it really works well to sell, to be the one accepting this award that's not really for him. So he's he's sort of getting uh, that praise, but it's he knows that it's not really about him. Mm. This the things that strike me here is one he's bringing again some calm to a room in mm -hmm. in a tension filled situation, and and that positive outlook is actually very strong here. Yep. Absolutely. Let me tell you what's great about my coworker. Yep. All of it's lies. Not entirely lies. <laughs> Tony's not working, but. I guess he's not always working. I guess right. it is the case that Tony Stark works occasionally. Right. I, sh I shouldn't dig on too much. And <laughs> it is the case that Tony probably would say how honored he felt and what a joy it is, but all of that coming out of Tony's mouth would be lies. Right. Yes. Absolutely. He hands that award to Caesar as he's walking out of the palace. Right. <laughs> he doesn't care about that award at all. 
But the uh, there's a handful of images painted throughout the beginning that show that Obadiah, though Tony Stark's father's right-hand man, is, in Tony's mind, a secondary dude. Right before the assassination, Stane actually calls him, and Tony says, oh, you're up late. Why aren't you wearing those pajamas I got you? Good night, Tony. Apparently, Tony thinks that Obadiah is the kind of guy who should be wearing his, the pajamas he got him as a gift. I don't know if men normally give pajamas to other men, <laughs> but I've given pajamas away sure, just a couple times, and it's always uh -huh. been to my kids. Sure. And that's what, how I read that line. It was like, mm, by sure. the way, I'm the bigger man. Sure. I get your argument. I don't... I, I see that more as Tony being a smartass. Okay. Like, it, it, like he's... He's acknowledging that Obadiah doesn't have a shirt on <laughs> in a really smart-ass way. Oh, I guess I that's, didn't notice that's that. That's what I read, yeah. So you didn't have any clothes on. He's got... <laughs> yeah. I'll, you know what? That's better. That phone call does come... Well, talk about Obadiah calling him at 2 in the morning. He's, he just plotted to kill Tony. He's calling him from the other side of the planet yeah. in Afghanistan. But he needs to know that the that the pitch went well first. Oh, is it about the pitch? Yeah. I was thinking, I guess it could also be about tracking him and is this actually going to get pulled off? But I was thinking there was like one last, we need to make sure that everything is kosher between us prior to you dying at my hands. Sure. Could be. I mean, if if he knows he's going to die and, and especially being the one who ordered the kill, mm -hmm. there's no reason for him to make sure that he's that they're okay that they're cool yeah i i was thinking this is just like way over the top <laughs> sure <laughs> um i like that that he's doing he's actually doing business here yeah um i'm killing this guy but i'm also making sure that this big contract i care about went through right that's interesting again with the assassination he's outsourcing violence right this is a man who prides himself on being a weapons manufacturer and right. it's still the case He's not the one pulling the trigger. Right. Am I wrong on the, on the outsourcing? No, I think that's absolutely right. I don't, I don't think he has his, any interest in getting his hands dirty in the act of killing. But he has made himself very, very, very comfortable in a, a line of work that involves death. I want to talk about and that. And so he has yeah. become very comfortable with death. Yeah. It's interesting how he spins that. It'll, it'll be here in a second. Yeah. And I think, but I think that's right. I think you need to put, give an answer to that if you're going to type him as a nine. And lo and behold, well, Tony goes to Asia, blows up, spends three months there. We all know, creates the Iron Man suit. Stark comes back, says we need to have a press conference, delivers what I think is, for me, top 10 lines in all of the MCU. I see you. To I never got to say goodbye to dad. I never got to say goodbye to my father. There's questions that I would ask him. I would ask him how he felt about what this company did, if he was conflicted, if he ever had doubts. Or maybe he was every inch the man we all remember from the newsreels. I saw young Americans killed by the very weapons I created to defend them and protect them. And I saw that I had become part of a system that is comfortable with zero accountability. 
And then he announces that Stark Industries is no longer going to be selling weapons. Obadiah Stane immediately steps up and moves him away from the microphone. It starts to smooth everything over. Everybody just calm down. We're going we're gonna to take a minute to think about all of this. Lots of things to talk about here. We'll talk about it later. It's going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Is it, is it going to be fine? Obadiah says, what we should take away from this is that Tony's back. <laughs> That's what I took away from it. And he's healthier than ever, and we're going to have a little internal discussion, and we'll get back with you with the follow-up. They're going to have a conversation back at the lab, as it were. Obadiah pulls up right in a Segway with a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> I I don't know what it is about Segways, but like I also love Arrested Development and Job riding around on a Segway. Uh-huh. It's like there's something about n- the idea of not walking <laughs> and just m- like moving around on one of those stupid Segways that I think is it it communicates something so sort of hilarious about the type of person yeah. who would use that device. Like he does not want to exert the effort to actually walk that yeah. far. It's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. I love segways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of anyone who would look cool riding a Segway and just no one. nobody's coming to mind. Nobody. You could put Michael Jordan as prime. Like Muhammad Ali looks awful on a Segway. It's like yep. <laughs> you could put all four Beatles on a Segway. Yep. You'd be like, no, doesn't matter. That, that, that's not going to work. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> looks cool on a Segway. Stain comes in. Oh, that, uh, that went well. Uh, did I just paint a target on the back of my head? Your head. What about my head? What do you think the over-under on the stock drop is going to be tomorrow? Uh, optimistically, 40 points. At minimum. Yep. Tony, we're a weapons manufacturer. Bobby, Tony, I, just, I don't want a body count to be our only that's legacy. What that's what we do. We're ironmongers. We make weapons. It's my name on the side of the building. And what we do keeps the world from falling into chaos. And there's the line. Yep. It's all about control. It's about control, and I... I think he may sincerely believe that more weapons make us less likely to use the weapons and therefore the world is more calm or I'm not sure that that's true because he's dealing to both sides. Knowing that they're going to use the weapons. Yeah. Okay. So if he's a nine, you think it's entirely then about control. Yeah. And even if he's dealing to both sides and they get into conflict it's still the case that he has oversight over who has the weapons at any time. Well, and the conflict's happening way over there. Right, true. It's not happening on his doorstep. He's not part of that conflict. Right. I suppose he is, in fact, a friend to both sides at that point. Right. It's leverage. And it's, it's about the money that has made him comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene later that it he doesn't say anything. It just pictures it just it's just him watching the news. Yep. And if you look at the room that he's in, the only word that comes to mind for me is opulence. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Like he's in silk pajamas on this plush leather couch and like like he has created a comfortable life for himself. And I think his 
entire goal is to maintain that level of comfort. Right. And the way that he has that is by doing what he knows how to do, which is make and sell weapons. Yeah. Like we talked about with Shawshank, it's, it's the word of the day is routine. Yeah. Obadiah is not interested in changing because he knows how to do this. And this is what leads him to the comfort that he's seeking. It's not about actual peace in the sense of what peace is. It's about his peace. Ooh, that's a good line. Because if on the face of it, if I'm coming to a nine and saying, hey, I don't want your legacy to be a body count, I don't normally associate body counts with nines. Right. But here it is. it's, It's not about actual peace. It's about his peace. It's about his peace. That's good. Yeah. Well, then they begin speaking about the arc reactor technology, and Stain says... It's a dead end, right? Maybe. Uh, am I right? We haven't had a breakthrough in that in, what, 30 years? That's what they say. And they're referring to the small, apparently brilliantly constructed contraption in Stark's chest that is keeping metal shards from entering his heart. Right. And I like this again for a nine. Could you have a lousier poker face? Just tell me, who told you? Never who told mind you? who told me. Rody. Show me. Rody or Pepper? It's Rody or Pepper. I want to see it. Okay, Rody. And he opens his shirt. And Stain, on one front, is controlling this situation. And on another front, is now deeply uncomfortable. His uncomfort in this scene... I think is real interesting for a nine again. He is he he is physically uneasy at seeing. Well, what what is it? I I know why I would feel physically uneasy in this. I think it has more to do with the implications of what this is and what it could be is going to rock the boat. Oh, there you go. We need to keep. This is a game changer. Uh huh. And we need to play this whole thing close to the vest. Oh, that's a better answer than mine. I thought it was more medical. Like the the scene earlier was Pepper pulling the wire out and getting pus sure. on her fingers. That's yeah. where my mind was going. But that's better. Uh, sure. This yeah, thing I is going to rock yeah. the boat. Yep. And 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 I also think that this conversation is a lot like the Nor- the warden's conversation with Tommy, in that Stain comes into it trying to get information out without directly revealing that he knows the information already. That makes way more sense of the remaining dialogue because Stain then says, Listen to me, Tony. We're a team. Do you understand? There's nothing we can't do if we stick together. Like your father and I. I'm sorry I didn't give you a heads up, okay? But if I had, then we Tony, no more of this ready, fire, and business. You understand me? That's fine. You gotta let me handle this. We're gonna have to play a whole different kind of ball now. We're gonna have to take a lot of heat. I want you to promise me that you're gonna lay low. All that's about change. It's about Tony seeing a way forward out of weapons manufacturing. Right. Into, what would that be, the power industry? Uh, Yeah, arc reactor technology is gonna change everything. Utilities. About, yeah, about how power works in the world. Yeah. And if they move forward with it, it also means that they're not, they can either manufacture weapons with this technology at its center, or they're not manufacturing weapons anymore. 
mm-hmm. Tony doesn't want to make weapons anymore. Mm-hmm. And and Stane is trying to calm things down because we're not changing that much. Like even even in his just trying to get Tony to start talking about the arc reactor, like he's saying the arc reactor is a publicity stunt yeah. to shut the hippies up. Yep. This technology, we need to figure out how to use it to make weapons. But that's not what you want to do. So we're just let let me handle this. You keep this quiet. Just trying to keep things calm. Yep. And trying to change as little as possible. There's some identity stuff going on here as well. I liked the habitual he's become a weapons manufacturer, and that's provided him a certain level of lifestyle and mm-hmm. control over world events, I suppose. Right. But he says, we are ironmongers. And I, I want to say that's an identity statement for this character. Like, it's not just this is my job, I go to work and get a paycheck. It's like, this is what he's become. And you you may know this. the The name of his villainous self is Ironmonger, right? And it's a good plan here for that name because I think it it really highlights what this character sees about himself. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, he's he's identifying himself with what he with what he does. Mm-hmm. Oh, there Which you is, go. Yeah. yeah, it's a temptation for eights, nines, and ones. I am right. what I do. Is that what you mean? Right. His his whole world, his entire level of comfort, his entire life has been spent in this field. And he doesn't know what he would be outside of it. So why on earth would he even entertain changing that? Yeah. Boom. Yeah, there it is. Well, he's going to take control. He's going to try and get this, well, the owner of the company, who is very flamboyant, <laughs> he says, I want you to promise me that you're going to lay low. Is Tony Stark going to lay low? I mean, of course not. <laughs> but Obadiah thinks he's exerting some level of control over him. Yeah. And doing it in a way that's trying to get Tony to believe that Obadiah is on his side. Yeah. I got this. Don't worry about it. You just need to do what I tell you. We're going to come out on top. That's more about the nine strategy. Right. Yeah. Well, Stane goes off to New York to have a board meeting, comes back with pizza. How'd it go, says Stark. They're in Stark's house. Obadiah is sitting at a piano. Stane is actually playing a ditty. Fun fact, you know who wrote the piece that Stane is playing? I do not. It was one of our villains. Oh, Salieri? He's playing a Salieri piece. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's great. How'd it go? that bad, huh? Just because I brought pizza back from New York doesn't mean it went bad. Uh-huh. Sure doesn't. Oh, boy. Would have gone better if you were there. Uh-uh. You told me to lay low. That's what I've been doing. I lay low and you take care of all Hey, the... come on. In public, the press, this was a board of directors meeting. This was, this was a board of directors meeting? The board is claiming a post-traumatic stress. They're filing an injunction. A what? They want to lock you out. Why, because the stocks dipped 40 points? We knew that was going to happen. 56 and a half. It doesn't matter. We own the controlling interest in the company. Tony, the board has rights too. They're making the case that you and your new direction isn't in the company's best interest. I'm being responsible. That's a new direction for me, for the company. I mean, me on the company's behalf being responsible for the way that. Oh, Grant. Oh, come on. Hey, Tony, Tony. I'll be in the shop. 
Hey, 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 Tony, listen. I'm trying to turn this thing around, but you gotta give me something, something to pitch them. Let me have the engineers analyze that. Pointing at at the uh, arc reactor in his chest. You know, drop some specs. No. It'll give no, me a bone. No, absolutely to throw the not. Boys this one stays York. with me. That's it, Obi. Forget it. All right, well, this stays with me then. Come on, here, you can have a piece. Take Thank two. you. You mind if I come down there and see what you're doing? Good night, Obi. Tony Stark was pitching the arc reactor technology. Right. Not willing to give this arc reactor technology to his company. Uh, Stain was not interested in arc reactor technology, but is interested in the little gadget in Tony's chest. I think that Stain is interested in arc reactor technology in so much as it helps him run his weapons manufacturing company. I think that's it. Stain could have, maybe it would have been too obvious and on the nose for him to have come back having thought through this and having thought, you know what? We can power super soldiers' suits with that kind of technology. Maybe I'll get on board with Tony's desire to push the company in that direction. What do you mean? Sometime between their, the last scene and this scene, Stain realized, oh, this could, I could use this in armor. Oh, I think he thought that before. Did you? He just, he's he's trying to play all of this really close. I think he's trying to keep total control over this situation. And part of that is by not letting too much information out. Not like could be. Well, Stark, on the flip side, I've built the thing out there, but this thing's close to my chest, as it were, mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah. I think a part of it, like for Stark, I think, a lot of that has to do with him recognizing that like he, he has now started to um, like when he meets with Obadiah outside of the arc reactor, he has not started to craft Mark two yet. Mm -hmm. And he's in the middle of that process now. And he's actually creating something that like this, this is the whole uh, part of the whole thing about the infinity wars arc is that Tony Stark and Iron Man are not in, are not separable. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to take the device that is integral to powering the Iron Man suit, then you actually are taking part of Tony himself. Sure. 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 And now that he's moving in that direction, he's unwilling to part with it. Yeah. I wonder if Obadiah Stane would get on board with a shield that would protect the world. No way, because he's dealing weapons to both sides. He wants to make more weapons because that's how he keeps his comfort. There you go. I suppose that is. That's how war profiteering works. Right. I think that like this scene is really important to me in thinking about Obadiah as a nine because he is like, we've talked about a lot of this stuff already throughout with the North, with the warden and whatnot, but he is like, he's playing the mediator between the board and Tony throughout this scene. Mm -hmm. But in the unhealthy nine going to unhealthy three space, he's also using this opportunity to manipulate Tony in the direction that he wants to go. And, and like, like there's a lot of deception on top of this. Mm -hmm. The board is claiming you have post-traumatic stress. They're filing an injunction. They want to lock you out. And later we find out that it's actually Obadiah who filed the injunction. Mm-hmm. 
So he's lying about what's happening, and it's all in this like manipulative maneuvering to replace Tony with himself, mm-hmm. so that he like he's been fine playing playing the the number two to Tony so long as Tony was not having any kind of real decisive part in running the company. Right. Now that Tony is moving himself into a place where he's actually taking charge, Obadiah is trying to move him out of that space. Yeah. In an aggressive and very deceptive way. Yeah. There's the deception there for control. Is there any deception here for attention? The way the three would? It feels like that's what it is. No, I don't think so. So on the low side, I'm just a... I don't know how else to highlight this. Deception is is the sin associated with threes, right? But it's done for different reasons, right? So, would you could we say that's the low side of three, or is that a stretch? I I think because Obadiah is so comfortable in his role in this company, there's a lot of threeishness that comes out, mm-hmm. like the, the his. His comfort on stage when he's accepting the award comes out of him going to three insecurity. Right. The fact that he's fine to be the chairman of the board of a company that he is essentially running mm-hmm. without needing to be the one who's actually has his name on the side of the building, I think that comes from going to three without being a three motivation. Mm. I'm fine being in charge, and also I don't need my name to be on the on yep. the building. Yep. Well, that is how the movie plays out. We we find out that uh, shoot Obadiah actually confesses it that he's playing both sides and that he's the one that's locking Tony out. Right. When Obadiah meets with the men who he partnered with to kill Stark, he incapacitates the leader with some tech that sends this high frequency sound and has his men surround all the militia members there. And as he walks out, he orders their execution. Again, outsourcing all the violence. And it's also the case that the tech he uses to actually physically harm another isn't messy. Right. It's very clean. It's it's not messy. It's not lethal. It's not... It's not lethal. That's a good call. It, it's also the least amount of effort. Mm. <laughs> he returns seeking to create Stark's small arc reactor, and he meets with the lead engineer who needs to present Stain some bad news. And I love this scene. Right. <laughs> uh, Mr. Stain, sir, uh, we've explored what you've asked us, and it seems as though there's a little hiccup, actually. Um, to hiccup? Yes, to power the suit. So the technology actually doesn't exist. So it's... it's wait, it's, wait, it's, wait, the technology? William. He puts his arm around him. This is uh, getting in somebody's space. Here is the technology. I've asked you to simply make it smaller. Okay, sir, and that's what we're trying to do, but honestly, it's impossible. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not Tony Stark. This is the anger coming out sideways and awkwardly, and it just, uh, all of a sudden, it's there. Yep. And is, it's... Mm -hmm clearly very angry but it's also very mean yeah yeah it yeah it's not just i'm furious that this can't get done 
Yeah. But you are terrible at your job for not being able to do it. Right. Yeah. Anything else for so? What, what's the hug? The hug about? It's it, it. We're okay. We're brothers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Tell me the bad news. It's gonna be okay. We we can get this done. Let's 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 figure this out. Yeah. Ve- yeah. Seems like a very aggressive move for a nine. I think it's a nine in security. Yeah. He's this guy's boss. He does have, yeah, he has total power He has here. total control over this guy. Yeah. There you go. We then cut to Tony's house. Tony was going to take a phone call, and then all of a sudden we hear a very high-frequency <laughs> tone, and we've heard this before. It's what incapacitated the last guy. Right. And Stain comes into picture. Excellent Easy. villain monologue here. You remember this one, right? It's a shame the government didn't approve him. There's so many applications for causing short-term paralysis. Ah, Tony. When I, uh, ordered the hit on you, I worried that I was killing the golden goose. But, you see, it was just fate. You survive that. You had one last golden egg to give. Looking at his chest. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Your father, he helped give us the atomic bomb. Now, what kind of world would it be today if he was as selfish as you? Ninth symphony. Oh, what a masterpiece. Look at that. This is your legacy. A new generation of weapons with this at its heart. Weapons that will help steer the world back on course. Put the balance of power in our hands. The right hands. <laughs> I wish you could see my prototype. It's not as uh, conservative as yours. Too bad you had to involve Pepper in this. I would have preferred that she lived. Total security. Total security. Big motive here, um, putting the balance of power back in our hands, the right hands. Yep. We just want to be in control because that's how we gain our comfort. He thinks he's killing... Tony here, yeah? Right, right. Doing it in, again, a very clean way. What did you say? Uh, a way that takes very little effort. <laughs> yeah. It's going to yep. unscrew something and leave him to die. Right. Kind of like pulling the plug or something. Yeah. You're not putting a pillow over his face. Or even pulling a trigger or... Yeah. Like, he's not killing him. He's doing something that will end in Tony's death. Mm-hmm. It's the least amount of effort. It's letting him die. Yeah, it's the letting him die. That's good. Yeah. Anything else we're saying about a three in security? Because it seems like this is this is the villainy of this character at its peak in his most secure self. It's like there's expression of the the kind of like goals and like almost like he's 
it's almost like he's bragging, but bragging mm. about how his plan worked out. Because he's not bragging about himself. It's like my my plan didn't work in the way that I meant it to, and you gave me something better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all security here, and 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 there's an amount of praise for what you have given me. Yeah, and how it's going to allow me to like take control, and and yeah, it's it's a very villainy monologue. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a final confrontation, which you'll know about, uh, both of them in suits. It's pretty much a, a standard big boss battle there at the end, and Obadiah Stane falls into the arc reactor. Right. Fun uh, footnote, I think I was reading, I didn't go down the rabbit hole, but uh, apparently Hydra had gotten to Stane, and he was going to power their work. Oh, sure. He just had to get Tony out of the way so that he could take over all the weapons. Okay. I, we just weren't there yet with Hydra. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if that was worthwhile, but I thought that was kind of interesting when I read it. I was like, oh. yeah. I yeah. guess Hydra's just always the. Yeah, Hydra's bad guy behind at, everything. You know, and so, yeah, right? the eternal bad guy. Made a little bit more sense in, as I was reading it. I was like, oh. Um, TJ, I, must con- I need to confess something to you. Okay. If you offered me a million dollars to guess this next character, as the culmination, the final villain in our list of villains, I would never, <laughs> ever have guessed that Milton from Office Space would be the very last villain. I don't think that we could have even guessed that he would make the list. <laughs> Not on the radar at all. However, we will see that many of the things that we've been talking about with Villainous Nines emerge in Milton. You will know Milton is the character that mumbles in, uh, what's the name of the director? Mike Judge. Yeah. Also did Idiocracy, which has one of the best 10-minute openings you'll see in a movie. <laughs> Movie begins with Milton at a bus stop mumbling to himself, it's late again. If I'm there late again, I will be dismissed. It says quite a bit about his nineness, yeah? Just right there? Right. Yep. In the first scene in the building, uh, Peter, who's the, the main protagonist in the, in the movie, is trying to read papers, but a loud radio, like news radio, is playing in the cubicle next to him, and he stands up, and he sees Milton, and he says, Milton, hi, uh, could you turn that down just a little bit? But I, I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume from 9 to 11. Yeah, no, no, I, I know you're allowed to. I, uh, I was just thinking maybe like a, you know, personal favor. Well, I... I, I, I told Bill that if, if Sandra's going to listen to her headphones while, she, while she's falling, then I should be able to listen to the radio while I'm collating. Uh-huh. So I don't see why okay. I should have to turn down the radio because yeah, all right. okay. I enjoy listening at a reasonable volume. Thanks. From 9 to 11. No. <laughs> collating such a good word for this character. <laughs> he keeps talking to himself even when Peter's gone. <laughs> I enjoy listening to the radio at a reasonable volume from 9 to 11. So one of the things that that so th- there's there's a list out there about talk styles for each of the types, mm-hmm. and I don't remember <laughs> any 
Like this, this is, is one of those, like it, it's fun tidbits, but I don't know that it's important. So I haven't stored it yet, <laughs> but like the only one I remember is about nines. And, and one of the words that they use to describe nines talk styles is meandering. <laughs> I feel like if you were to choose any single word to describe Milton and the way he talks to other people, it's meandering. Like it's just it's a perfect way to think about how he tells stories, how he communicates everything. Mm-hmm. Every single time he opens his mouth, he's going to say way more <laughs> than anyone needs to know. And like that's part of the joke, but it's also like it that's super nice. It's also directed at a lot of control here. A very small target. You know, it's not like taking over the world through overseeing all the weapons distributions. It's right. They told me. So this is about control. They gave me permit yep. the powers that be have entrusted me with. Yeah. In fact, I could listen to the radio. And here's a very nine phrase at a at a reasonable volume. It's a yep. reasonable volume. This is yep. we're <laughs> He's not upsetting the apple cart. Right. It's it's reasonable I'm not, volume. I'm not doing anything I'm not supposed to. It's reasonable volume. Mil- they said it was okay. Milton is calling Peter on the phone, who's in the cubicle next to him, and he says, on the meandering front. But I said, I, I don't care if they lay me off either, because I told I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then... Then, I, then I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. And, and I told Dom, too, because they've moved my desk four times already this year, and I used to be over by the window, and I could see the squirrels, and they were married, but then they switched from the swing line to the Boston stapler, but I kept my swing line stapler because it didn't bind up as much, and, and I kept the staples for the swing line stapler. Okay, Milton. And, oh, no, it's not okay because if they make me, if they if they take my my stapler, then I'll, I'll, I'll have to I'll set the building on fire. Okay, well, that sounds, uh, sounds great. Uh, I'll talk to you later, all right? Bye. Things up. Just plants that there. If they take my stapler, I will set the building on fire. And nobody cares about Milton. Because his presence does not matter. He says it so (laughs) many times that he's going to set the building on fire. And nobody's ever paying attention to him. That's it. Because his presence doesn't matter. (laughs) And also because he won't ever shut up about things that nobody cares about. That's it. Because he's meandering. (laughs) Because he's... (laughs) These two are the tragic flaws of this character. Yeah. We see Milton slightly paranoid. He hears Bill talking about him, and he starts to eavesdrop because Bill is talking about the stapler. Bill, who is the boss, comes by. He says, "Hi, Milton. What's happening?" I'm sorry. Um, I'm gonna have to ask you to go ahead and move your desk again. So, if you could go ahead and get it as far back against that wall as possible, that would be great. No. No, because I was, that I was way we'll have some room for no some of these had to move boxes and things we need to put in here. No room. And, uh, oh, oh, there it is. What? It, here, let me just go ahead and get that from you. Great. So, if you could just get to that as soon as possible, that would be terrific. Okay? Thanks a bunch, Milton. Goodbye. Okay, I set the building on fire. This is devastating to a nine, though. 
Oh yeah, totally. Especially because of the amount of energy. So, so he's not, he's clearly not very good at advocating for himself. Uh He's not incredibly assertive in the lines. He is declaring what he wants. He is contradicting, but his entire being is not crafted. (laughs) Like it's, he's not presented in a way that is even a little bit assertive or will in any way get him what he wants. Yes. Like his, his, his words are speaking something very different from his behavior. And like, he's just, he, he, his physicality, his mumbling, his, the fact that he looks so ridiculous and, and God bless Steven Root. (laughs) The, the actor who plays this character is just, He's so good at fully embodying these ridiculous characters. Yeah. He's so funny. He's such a good actor. And like the ability to to sort of hold that that anger inside a vessel that does not reflect anger mm-hmm. is it's beautiful. It's amazing. And it makes me feel so bad for Milton. Like I just want to hold him. You know, the obvious stuff here in terms of like the boss in order to torment him is making him change his space and then filling his space with boxes right. for storage. Right. Clearly your presence doesn't matter. And then he's taking the one item Milton cares about. Right. Like stand up for yourself, Milton. <laughs> Do it. This is compounded in a scene to come in which they bring in the bobs, the bobs who are going to downsize the company. And Milton comes up, and one of the pubs points out that Milton got laid off five years ago. Right. And he's still come to work. And the reason he's coming to work is apparently he's getting a paycheck through some sort of glitch. And so the bobs, in order to ensure that Milton doesn't come back anymore... So we just went ahead and fixed the glitch. Mm, Great. So uh, Milton has been let go. Well, just a second there, Professor. We, uh, We fixed the glitch. So he won't be receiving a paycheck anymore, so it'll just work itself out naturally. We always like to avoid confrontation whenever possible. Problem is solved from your end. (laughs) Um. I mean, A, it's just despicable, Uh but also it's like, it is how nines feel. Yeah, that's how nines see other people seeing them. Like, I'm not important enough to, like... The idea of internalizing that what Milton is going through, that he is not important enough for them to come to him and say, this is what's going to happen. Like, I feel that (laughs) I have no problem getting to that emotional space. Well, Milton's working. And then the next scene and Bill comes by. Hi, Milton. What's happening? I I, I, I didn't receive my paycheck this week. Um, you're going to have to talk to payroll about that. I did, and and they said... Mel, we're going to need to go ahead and move you downstairs into storage B. No, I I was told I could not... We have some new people coming in, and we need all the space we can get. But there's no space. So if you could just go ahead and pack up your stuff and move it down there, that would be terrific. I I, I was told I could stay... Excuse me. Yeah, I, I believe you have my stapler. <laughs> <laughs> Again, your presence doesn't matter. 
Go be in the storage area. We're not even telling you that you're fired. Just terrible. This poor guy. Oh, man. Move on to a birthday party. They're handing out cake. Milton actually takes a piece for himself and his neighbor, Nina. Now, Milton, don't be greedy. Let's pass it along and make sure everyone gets a piece. Hey, but last time I didn't receive a piece, and I was told that I Just pass. Okay. And, of course, it's the case that as all the pieces get handed out, Milton is left with no piece. Which, like, he knew this was going to happen. Stand up for yourself, just keep a piece and walk away. (laughs) Or, even better, don't hand off the last piece. He got, he didn't, yeah, the second to last piece. He needed to, the last piece, I think, the lady in front of him thought the same thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Cut to a next, the next scene where he's in the basement. Bill Lumbar comes down. Milton? Yes. What's happening? I wanted to say, you. Milton, you know what would be great? Wait, no. Since you're down here, it would be really great if you could just sort of... Take care of the cockroach problem we've been having in here. No, that's really not my job, and I, I haven't received my so, piece. For now, why don't you go ahead and get yourself a flashlight and a can of pesticide. And then Dom enters, who's another boss, and he says, Bill, we need you upstairs right away. We've got a big problem, big. Some major glitch in accounting, a lot of money missing. And they go upstairs, Bill turns off the lights, and Milton says to himself, Excuse me? Among all the turmoil, Excuse me. But, okay, but that's the last straw. <laughs> just, <laughs> just real flat. So I have this memory of, as a child, I was, I was in the bathroom. It was a, a small church, small bathroom. Uh, I was in a stall and doing my business, and somebody else came in. And of course, because I'm a nine and I don't want people to know when I'm doing my business, I was very quiet. They did their thing and then they left. And on their way out the door, they turned off the light. (laughs) And this is seared in my brain (laughs) as this fairly traumatic experience. Like I I developed a sense of, of knowing my way around in the dark, I think because of this memory but I, I think at the core of it, part of why it was so traumatic was because I felt like, like I was alone in the dark and nobody knew I was there. And, and there's this sense of not being important enough for other people to notice. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Milton feels like. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just, I, I feel it, Milton. <laughs> feel I feel like... it. I don't know if other types work this way where it's, it can be the case that nines and wanting everything to be calm make themselves invisible. Yep. And yet it's the case that the one thing that's desired is that their presence matters. Right. And these do not work in tandem. I think all all of the types have something like that. Yeah. That that they're it, it it has to do with the thing that they're settling for. Yeah. So so nines are seeking connectedness 
and what we settle for or, or we're seeking harmony and connectedness yeah. and what we settle for is is calm but is that, peace yeah but that can be that invisible it is 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 non-conflict that's actually a better way to say that what we mm. settle for is non-conflict yeah and non-conflict is not always the road to actual peace and and if the goal of what you're doing is to not have conflict, then you are actually going to make yourself invisible mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Ones are are seeking order and goodness. And what they often settle for is correctness. Mm-hmm. And in order to be correct, they might actually be moving in a direction where it's it's their order as opposed to real goodness and order. Yep. Love that. That will be a, should tag that for a layer. That's a good topic to go around the circle with. Yeah, cuz there there will be something for every type. Yeah. Eights want want justice and often what what they're actually creating is dictatorships. Yeah. etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, well as Milton uh, goes to try and get his last paycheck he stumbles upon embezzled funds in the millions of dollars grabs it and apparently sets the building on fire on his way out we see him sitting on a beach earning 20% (laughs) (laughs) just asking for a pina colada I think is what it was and even no growth. And even the waiter just ignores it. Just ignores him. <laughs> or fool. That's how the movie ends. You got anything else to say about Milton? Damn, it feels good to be against. Well, uh, so Milton isn't necessarily like a traditional villain. Like he's he's not hurting anybody. He's not like his intent is not evil. Blah blah blah. But like as as a sort of the darkness that comes from a moment of security. Like he, mm. he burns down a building <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and it's also reflective of that. Like his anger coming out sideways. He is, he feels ignored. Mm-hmm. Dis, like not, not even just disrespected, but, but dehumanized in, he feels invisible and, he just wants his stapler <laughs> and Bill turns off the lights. and He's like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done feeling this way. My anger is coming out and he burns down the building. Yeah. I think that is actually like, like all of the villainy talk. We are not so much worried about the people who are listening to this becoming mass murderers or kidnappers or, uh, bank robbers or all of the things that we've talked about. But I think Milton is a good example of the type of villainy that might actually come out of a real person. Yeah. Right. So nines, be careful. (laughs) It's way better to stand up for yourself and cause a fight than to burn down buildings. It's a good word. One mix up our outro. We just, uh, as I said earlier, we just, we're, we're almost at 150 reviews on the iTunes. And you know what? Push that right over, over that finish line. 
We can do it. Enneagram Wilson is is going to be born here in a, a, <laughs> a year or two. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. We'll give you a reason to celebrate with your wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could offer up your toddy recipe for, for the next uh, time around. Never. I'll never give that away. If you would like to know what the red swing line stapler in TJ's life is, it is yeah. the toddy recipe. What is the swing, <laughs> what is the swing line stapler for you? Uh, it's just... It's lots of things. It's, it's 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 the things that I have that work well. Right. The reason that he wants that stapler is because the other stapler binds. Oh, I guess that's because the swing line stapler stapler works. Yeah, that makes sense. It's comfort. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, if this podcast has done good for your heart and you want it to continue into the future, we would love your support. Uh, you can we we don't often pitch our Patreon, but you can find our Patreon on our website, which is aroundthecircle.org. Five bucks a month makes a world of difference. Two bucks a month makes a world of difference. I, th- I believe you can put whatever values you want. Eventually in 2021, we're hoping to get up some video content. We did a, a conference last year that we're going to edit and get up there, and that will be available. And uh, But mostly, just if, if this podcast matters to you, uh, we'd love your help. Music is by The Collection out of Greensboro, North Carolina, and by Tim Coons in Greeley, Colorado. You can find all the links to all of our stuff, again, at aroundthecircle.org. But the best thing you can do is to share this episode with somebody you love, preferably somebody who maybe feels invisible or ignored or is tempted to burn down buildings, I suppose. Pit armies against each other with their war profiteering. Or uh, embezzle money from their job as a a prison warden. (laughs) Hey, TJ, you got anything else? I got nothing, man. He's DJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are. And don't set your workplace on fire. (laughs) 